0: One of the reasons too, it's really important as a infant child to have exposure to microbes early. And this is, I talk a lot about the idea of the hygiene hypothesis and how, you know, because that's actually when I was doing my allergy fellowship, that's what we talked about. Oh, the hygiene hypothesis, right? They had done this study. Showing that kids who grew up in, I think it was East Germany versus West Germany, you know, when the wall was up. So we're talking, you know, in the 70s, um, 80s, that children who grew up in East Germany who had, you know, farm animals and cows and not quite access to the modern conveniences of West Germany actually had less allergies. And the people, the kids who grew up in West Germany had a lot more allergies. And they said, oh, it's probably because these children were exposed in West Germany to antibiotics and highly sanitized water. And they didn't, you know, they, they had um, pasteurized milk, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that might be part of it, but really it's probably that they um, were exposed. It's, it's not the issue that they weren't exposed to pathogens is that they may not have been exposed to friendly bacteria.
1: Did you know that there's a superhero inside you? It's called your immune system. Is your immune system strong? Is your immune system balanced? Or ideally, is it both? We're gonna be talking about these topics today with Dr. Heather Modi. Dr. Modi is a functional medicine doctor who specializes in immunology and has a new book about the four immunotypes called The Immunotype Breakthrough. This is a personalized plan for how to balance your immune system, optimize health, and build lifelong resilience. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. And in this podcast, we're going to really focus today and take a deep dive into the immune system. Join us for a conversation about how supporting your immunity using sleep, stress reduction, nutrition, and much more can help to strengthen and balance your immune system. Welcome, Heather, to our podcast. Thanks so much for being on today.
0: Thank you, Andrew. It's really fun to be here.
1: And of course, it's so nice to reconnect with you after our fellowship days. This was uh, actually like eight years ago now, I think, which seems like a long time, but I know <laughs> it, seems,
0: it seems like not long ago, but at the same time, it seems a long, I feel like a lot has gone on. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, absolutely. Um, not the least of which is the pandemic. And I don't want to get too heavy right away, but I know we're talking today about the immune system. So I want to give you an, congratulations, first of all, this amazing book, um, new book yeah. that you have written called the Immunotype Breakthrough uh which is basically and it's basically the subtitle i want to read this out because i think it's really great for listeners to hear this your personalized plan to balance your immune system optimize health and build lifelong resilience uh I just love that that title and, and just kind of going through the book and reading it myself. Um, it's an amazing book, so everyone needs to check that out. We'll have more about that at the end here. But I wanted to also say that Mark Hyman, who I know is one of the functional gurus that we you know learn from and follow in the IFM, said uh, that this is the most important guide available today to understanding and optimizing your immune function. So that's really high praise from Dr. Hyman. So that's congrats. Yeah, that.
0: I was really... I mean, I was really humbled to get that. Quite honestly, it was it was pretty amazing. So um, I'm glad that he liked it, and I hope that other people get a lot out of it when they read it.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Now let's talk first about the immune system. Um, I think let's take a deep dive in in a little bit. But starting broad first, generally speaking, what is our immune system? We've all heard about it over the last couple of years. We're all concerned about how to how to get the immune system you know, uh, sort of up to speed, so to speak, but what is their immune system and why is it so important?
0: So our immune system really is a, it's a, um, it is a system of cells, um, and organs, and also I would say chemicals, right? So, you know, the immune system really is present in all parts of the body. Um, it's not like, other organ systems where, you know, like the heart or the lungs that you might just have, like, you know, one organ system in one place. Um, The immune system really is everywhere. And that's because we need immune activity everywhere. Um, And so there's a whole series of different kinds of cells that have very specialized jobs. Um, There are are, um, organ systems or or organs that play a very uh, big role in in providing places for these cells to develop and then also to hang out and um, sort of be ready. But also a lot of the tissues of our body have immune functions. So we don't really think about this, but like our skin, um, the the lining of our um, intestinal tract, the lining of of our respiratory tract, our stomach acid, a lot of enzymes, they actually play a role in our in um, our innate immunity. So, you know, really, it's it's a it's a system that is in place to protect us from harm um, to, you know, and that can be everything from microbes and things that we would typically think of, like bacteria, viruses, but also even chemical toxins, things are going to damage our cells and the other thing too, is that it's, it's part of our repair system. It's what helps us repair from injury. Um, it helps us um, recover from illness. Um, it helps us uh, with, you know, basically the onslaught of things that we're exposed to during our life. So like all of the toxins and free radicals, it's there to help us um, to repair all of our organs and cells so that we can live to a nice hearty uh, age versus dying when we're very young. So it, it actually has a lot of different roles um, uh, in terms of, you know, of a system. It's it's, and that's why I think it can be a little perplexing and a little overwhelming for people to understand because it it you can't really put it in a box, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And let's talk. And this is, will be a little bit of a preface towards the four different immunotypes that you talk about in your book. But let's talk about self versus non-self, what is the role of the immune system and differentiating that between you know those two aspects?
0: Yeah, so this is a really important sort of like tenet of immunity is that our immune cells need to differentiate between self tissue or like our own human cells um, and non-human cells. And the reason is obviously, if it can't do that, then it could be attacking our own tissues. And of course that does happen in the case of autoimmune disease but you know, when we develop certain cells, for example, um, a certain um, a type of cell called lymphocytes or T cells, when these T cells are born or developed, they go through like almost like a test that they have to um, prove that they can ignore or what we call tolerate um, our own self tissue. And it's almost like... It's almost like if you're training a dog, right? So you know, it's, if you a, have it's a an dog, immune
1: academy, yeah. It's an right. It's academy. the
0: immune academy. And the dog, you know, you put the treat down and the dog wants, if the dog is able to look at the treat and look away, then it's past the test, right? Um, we sort of have the same thing, but instead these T cells, if they're like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a cell I'm gonna attack, and it turns out to be, you know, a skin human skin cell or a human thyroid cell or whatever, that T cell literally gets destroyed. Okay, so it gets annihilated.
1: The consequences and are pretty severe then. for the Pretty case severe, case.
0: yes, they are yeah. killed. Now, granted, there are a few that make it through and circulate and a lot of times don't cause a lot of problems. But, you know, that if that does get out of control or if we lose um, this tolerance over time, you can develop uh, autoimmune issues and other problems.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so it sounds like the immune system has many, many different roles. Just to recap what you said, uh, defending and protecting, repairing, um, also kind of differentiating self from non-self in this immune tolerance after Mm going through that immune academy, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love this uh, question. I wanted to bring this up to you because really during this pandemic time, we've all been sort of... uh, Focusing on, I think, certainly in in the popular media about, you know, boosting the immune system. How do we get the immune system stronger? How do we make that, you know, know, higher, faster, bigger, stronger kind of thing? And um, I think it sounds like from reading your book that the immunotype breakthrough that there are certain uh, people that depending on their type of immune system, that they have, they, they would benefit from a boost of the immune system. But then sure. there's other people that, that maybe have a different immunotype that maybe the boosting mm-hmm. would not be helpful.
0: Right. So, you know, when we talk about boosting, at least my interpretation is we want a stronger um, immune response. Okay. So, and and this sort of brings up the idea of inflammation. So inflammation is a cornerstone, central aspect of how our immune system works, or at least how you know some of the cells work. And inflammation is it's a whole um, it's a whole sort of um, uh, pathway that occurs that you know something comes into the body or something needs to be repaired in the body. It initiates. Uh, different cells that come in at different time periods, Um, they actually create an inflammatory response. But that inflammatory response may be to kill something or to repair something, but then it has to be resolved. And so that's inflammation is super, super important. Um, And some people may have actually a very good ability to recognize pathogens and to kill them. Um, So those people may not need an excessive amount of boosting, especially if they also have, say, some, um, issues with a, uh, we call a misguided immune response. So that would be an, a autoimmune response. They're already, um, misguided. So they're attacking their own tissue. So, um, you wouldn't want to really boost that. Then there's some people that are already sort of very inflamed they're putting out fires all over their body so they might be dealing with obesity they're already dealing with heart disease or elevated blood sugar these are things that might be causing inflammation throughout the body they may not need really more of an increase in inflammation which when we talk about boosting we're really talking about aiding cells that create inflammatory cytokines which are these you know chemical messengers which if they go too far, it's like the Goldilocks effect, right? You know, you want it to be perfect because if it gets too high, if the fire gets too high, that's not a good thing either. So the people who really need, and we all probably need immune boosting at certain times in our life, um, because we change obviously throughout our life, are people who maybe aren't having a very quick or robust response to pathogens This can occur in the very, very young. This can occur in the elderly. This can occur in people who are extremely stressed or who have um, uh, nutritional deficiencies or even people who might have lowered immune responses because of medication or chronic disease, Um, so people with cancer, things like that. So there's definitely people who need a boost, uh, but not everybody does.
1: Got it, and and let's go through the four primary immunotypes that you talk about in your book, the immunotype breakthrough, and then maybe you could kind of provide an outline for how you would approach them differently as a as a clinician.
0: Sure. So the first one, which I think is the one that I think a lot of people in the in the United States fall into, is what I call the smoldering immunotype because. You know, just to give a background, when I was thinking about writing this book, and it really was because I felt like most people had this very black and white idea of how the immune system works. It's on, it's off, it's on, it's off, and it's that's just not how it works, right? Um, and many of us are walking around with chronic inflammation that isn't really showing up on the surface necessarily as a disease, We might have things like hypertension or smoldering heart disease that people don't find out about until they have a heart attack or maybe their blood sugar is a little high, but they haven't been diagnosed with diabetes. Maybe they have some arthritis that's not autoimmune in nature. Um, So these people are the smoldering type. Um, They have, um, oftentimes they have slight elevations in certain cytokines. They might have um, tests that show that they have a little bit more inflammation. And then they have some of these, you know, sort of lifestyle diseases that are driven by these fires that they're putting out in the body. So this is sometimes very quiet. This inflammation until it's not. Um, so that's sort of the the smoldering type. And and the reason why it's really important to to look at this is that a. All of our, most of our chronic diseases are coming out of this. So everything from Alzheimer's disease to heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. But also when over time, if we are very sort of distracted and we have, and we are trying to deal with, you know, chronic inflammation, we may not respond so well to say a novel virus. And this is sort of what we saw in the beginning of COVID, um, you know, not in everybody, but especially people who did have, say, overt diabetes, people who were very obese, um, and, you know, people who had, say, lung disease, inflammation there, they weren't able to have a really good rapid response to this novel virus because there was no memory of it. Um, and by the time it sort of spread enough in the cells, as viruses do, you um, you know we were sort of making these hail mary passes in the end and, and unfortunately people ended up dying from sepsis and cytokine storms and things like that so that can happen so that's the smoldering type um and so you know those people you really 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 want to double down on um you know looking at lifestyle looking at diets looking at um things that can be driving um chronic inflammation. And there's, there's obviously many of those things. Um, the next I would say, um, on the list would be the weak, which is sort of the opposite, right? So this is probably, I would say the most, I would say the least common in a way, because, you know, we live in a, a Western world where most people have access to good food for the most part. I mean, maybe junky food, but you know, we don't have a lot of malnutrition, Um, we are dealing with, most people have some access to care. So, you know, people are growing up for the most part with a okay immune reaction. So there are people obviously who are born with, um, congenital issues that cause immune weakening people who develop cancer, who might get on immune suppressive drugs, HIV, obviously. And then, but we do have some people who just through, chronic stress or GI issues or really poor um, uh, nutrition, their immune system is going to be weakened. And so they're going to have a hard time clearing things like viruses, clearing things like bacteria. I say, these are the people who get sick all the time. They say, oh, I, everything that comes around, I get it. I get bronchitis for weeks. I get chronic you know, uh, illness for weeks. I you know, I can't always recover. Or I'm exhausted, et cetera. So that's sort of the weak immunotype. And then the misguided is probably the most complicated. Um, those are people literally with autoimmune disease. Um, it sort of covers a very large swath of people. Um, but with autoimmune disease, there has to be some sort of inflammation first. And so it's driven by an underlying trigger. Now that trigger can be lots of different things as we're seeing sometimes it's oh, it's a occult virus. So we see that with Epstein-Barr virus, things like that, Lyme disease, mold toxin Um, stress, other toxins, gut leakiness. So lots of things can cause the immune system to become misguided and start reacting towards self-tissue. And then last is the um, hyperactive. And so hyperactive is also inflamed, but inflamed in a different way. So these are people who actually make a very specific type of immune response it's an allergic response and it's a, it's a totally different kind, you know, sort of want to say corner of the immune system. They tend to make, uh, antibodies of a certain type, um, which are called IgE type. They make, um, they stimulate cells that release histamine. Um, so these are people who tend to have allergies, eczema, um, chronic sinusitis, asthma, all of these, we call it atopic or allergic type of issues, food issues, obviously food sensitivities and, and allergies, um, but it's still inflammatory. It just it's a, it's a working in a different way. So it's really important to sort of look at these differently. They're not all the same.
1: Thank you for that brilliant overview of the immune system. I feel like I just went to medical school all, all <laughs> over again. <laughs> Sub specialty. Um, I have a couple of, I have a lot of sub questions that were generated yeah. from that. But one of the things is that it kind of reminds me of something we learned in fellowship, which is the the Ayurvedic mm-hmm. doshas. Right? There's yes. Pitta, Kapha, Vata, and I wonder if, um, like you said, as the body changes over time, maybe nutritional needs to change over time. Mm-hmm. Do people's immunotypes, could they also change over time? And then the other sort of sub-question, if you don't mind answering them together, is can they be combined? Can someone have a weak and misguided or, you know, something like that?
0: So absolutely. Um, We are not static creatures. Um, And it's really the things that we encounter through life and the way that we live our life that changes our immune system so we're very adaptable creatures and that's another thing that i you know we can change this which is of course why i wrote the book so just like the doshas right so you might have a primary dosha you know vata pitta kapha um but it can become imbalanced and you know with 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 this a lot of times it's okay so when you were born right were you breastfed were you vaginally delivered that might put you in a different category, like if you didn't have those benefits, you might have a slightly more weak immunotype, or you might develop a lot of childhood allergies. But you know, then there's people who, you know, they were very healthy, and you probably see this with a lot of your clients. They didn't have any childhood illness; everything was great. But you know, then they went to college, and they—I uh, don't know—they went to, let's just say, they went to Southeast Asia or Africa, and they picked up a parasite or something happened. They came back; they started having diarrhea. And then they started having GI issues, and then all of a sudden they developed food allergies, you know. And then they started getting asthma, or maybe they got Epstein-Barr virus as a teenager, and then they went to college, and then their father died, and they went through a period of stress, and which was, you know, tremendous. And then they were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or something. So, you know, it's it is how the environment works on our genes, turning things on and off. And, and our immune system, you know, is going to change based on that. And, um, but yeah, you can absolutely have people when they take the quiz and, you know, cause people take the immunotype quiz and they'll say, well, I'm sort of a little bit of the smoldering and I'm a little bit of the misguided. And I said, absolutely. You can be that you should be that. I mean, so you look at sort of where you score the highest and that would be sort of the predominant one, um. So, yeah, absolutely. Where to focus the
1: attention on the most. Got it. Yes, That that makes sense. Um, Well, I know we had talked about in the beginning of this conversation about self and non-self and immune tolerance. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. how the gut is connected to the immune system, specifically the gut microbiome, and are there specific gut microbes that the immune system recognizes as quote-unquote self-friends, you know, Mm -hmm. where, where they wouldn't react as much as, say, the ones that are considered more inflammatory etc
0: yeah and so that's one of the reasons too it's really important as a infant child to have exposure to microbes early and this is i talk a lot about the idea of the hygiene hypothesis and how you know because that's actually when i was doing my allergy fellowship that's what we talked about. Oh, the hygiene hypothesis, right? They had done this study showing that kids who grew up in, I think it was East Germany versus West Germany, you know, when the wall was up. So we're talking, you know, in the seventies, eighties, that children who grew up in East Germany, who had, you know, farm animals and cows and not quite access to the modern conveniences of West Germany actually had less allergies and the people, the kids who grew up in West Germany had a lot more allergies and they said, oh, it's probably because these children were exposed in West Germany to antibiotics and highly sanitized water. And they didn't, you know, they, they had um, pasteurized milk, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that might be part of it, but really it's probably that they Um, were exposed it's it's not the issue that they weren't exposed to pathogens is that they may not have been exposed to friendly bacteria Mm. so you know our intestinal microbiome which is mostly in the colon which is trillions of bacteria and viruses and all sorts of things yeast forms they are there for a reason, because they act as teachers. And so we learned very early that certain species are supposed to be there and our immune system, the cells that, you know, cause a lot of our immune cells are hanging out just beyond the um, surface of the colon. So they're just right outside, um, you know, sort of right before the bloodstream, there's all these lymphatic um, areas where they hang out. And they're able to communicate literally with the interior of the colon, and so many of these lactobacilli and um, you know bifidobacterium, but even even other ones, even even other species that we consider to be sort of inert or not necessarily beneficial are still important teachers, um, and so we do learn to sort of tolerate them, and they are beneficial to us over time when we lose them we know that there are problems with increased inflammation, loss of tolerance, loss of tolerance to foods. So it is really, really important to keep our gut microbes very varied and very um, healthy in terms of, of number.
1: Got it. In terms of healthy gut bacteria being some of our greatest teachers to the immune system, is there research on the age at which an average person would have an immune system that matured, you know, to, in other words, when is it sort of too late to say, okay, I'm going to dig my hands in the soil now, but right. in my forties, is that, is that actually going to help me if my immune system is mm-hmm. is not, you know, right. wasn't exposed as much as a child?
0: So I don't know if they've ever done studies, you know, proving that I, I, I know that, We know even based on, say, um, fecal transplants, right? So, in which is usually occurring in adults who have C. diff or something like that, that that radically changes their health outcomes by literally transplanting a new microbiome. Um, So, whether you can get that from, um, you know, I don't think they've ever done long-term studies, but we obviously know that increasing your natural prebiotic intake and fiber intake um, will often bring alive a lot of these dormant bacteria that just aren't being fed by having more fermented foods. um, You can significantly improve it. Um, Whether they've done human studies, like before and after, like doing Year long, that would be a great study if you can take people and and control them for say twelve months with their diet and use of fermented foods and sort of do before and after. Um, um, that would be a great study. But we do know that they that you can resurrect quite a bit of your um, of your microbiome and improve your immunity over time. And we've seen that really just with how people's infl- you know inflammation changes over time.
1: So. And 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 just like you, I th- I think uh, you know we we do a lot of these stool tests to look at the microbiome. I'm not sure which yeah. one's your favorite, but you know there's different ones, right? And um, we even see over uh, over a six month period, you do a repeat. You know a lot of times their mm-hmm. gut microbiome is better. It sort of correlates with how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: and I've seen you know, um, and I know you probably use a lot of the tests that do the DNA probes. And so a lot of times. Um, there will be no, you know, the probe won't be sensitive enough to pick up certain bacteria. So it'll say it's less than a detectable limit and it'll look like they have none of this, this normal resident bacteria there. And, you know, six months later, it's not like you're giving them that bacteria, you're just, they're eating differently. Um, They may be taking in some probiotic species, but all of a sudden you'll see this other species completely bloom So it's there. It's just not getting like the love and support that it needs. (laughs) So you really can resurrect your microbiome.
1: Yeah, bringing it out of hibernation. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, let's get into what I feel like listeners may want to know about. We're in uh, 2022 when we're taping this. It's still during the pandemic. Hopefully, it's receding a bit, but um, there's variants always on the horizon and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, how does the immune terrain impact? viral prevalence, I think we're talking generally about viruses, but we can also talk about COVID if you'd like, and also mm-hmm. severity of viruses. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so COVID, obviously, um, or I should say SARS, COVID, you know, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, this is a virus that, you know, has been hanging out in an animal population, probably for you know who got, God knows. You know, decades, right? Just like most of this, the viruses that we see, that we call novel, but they're novel to humans. They're spilling over from these animal populations because of, unfortunately, how we are, how we destroy their ecology and bring them into our environment, and we have no exposure to them. Like humans have been dealing with coronaviruses for you know millennia, right? And that's just a big family, but these particular strains, we don't have any experience with. And that's why it's so devastating because we have no natural immunity to them. Um, Although that was debatable in the beginning, they thought some people did. But, you know, I think that's why it's scary for people, because they're like, oh my gosh, we've never seen this before. The other thing is that, as we know, viruses in order to live, they have to exist in animal or human cells in order to replicate. And when they do that, of course, they can mutate. (laughs) And mutation is very scary because they're usually figuring out ways to become more invasive or to hide themselves better or to, you know, basically become stronger. And that's, you know, a scary thing. So when I think of how can we protect ourselves from so-called novel viruses? We don't have a way of knowing which ones are coming next. I mean, maybe epidemiologists do, but we can work on our innate immune system. So, you know, our innate immune system is sort of our first line of defense when it comes to allowing things into the body. So, of course, there's barriers to that. There's you know, everything from enzymes in our, in our saliva and tears to enzymes in our stomach and acid in our stomach and that kind of thing. And so that's important. But we have a bunch of cells that circulate throughout the body, which really are looking for the first thing to come in. And these are natural killer cells. There are macrophages, there's this whole family that are called phagocytes, which basically, you know, either swallow whole things or take them back to the um, adaptive immune cells. So we really wanna have a very active and strong innate immune response. And and that's where a lot of the things that you can take, right? So you can can make sure you're taking things that can help that. And that's where a lot of the um, medicinal mushrooms come in. That's where um, certain antioxidants come in because they can actually make natural killer cells stronger and more active. Um, they can improve cytokine function, and, and um, so I would say, like, really working on the innate immune system is very, very, very important. And there's other things with that, too. For example, sleep. We know that if you don't sleep, right, um, you, you sort of drop the hammer on uh, on your ability to actually mount a really good immune response, and then also to mount a response against things like vaccines. Um, so once you do have a vaccine... Um, you can actually improve your response to vaccines through some lifestyle things, too.
1: Yes. And I believe you talked in the book also about autophagy and how intermittent fasting can be helpful. Can you speak yeah. to your experience on that or either clinically or personally?
0: Yeah. So autophagy, you know, it's it's something that and, you know, obviously there's many people that specialize talking about autophagy. Um, it's really a recycling in a way of our cells. Um You know, we can turn over cells relatively quickly, but we can also sort of improve them. It's it's almost like we take some of the used up parts and we take them to the central organelle in the cell and we almost like melt them down, right? (laughs) Get rid of them um, to make the cell stronger and allow it to live longer. And we know that improved autophagy is helpful for immune cell function. It's important for aging. and brain function, and autophagy happens. Um, I would say, if you want to improve autophagy, one of the best ways to do it is to to do some intermittent fasting, because we know that this happens in a state that we are not taking in extra fuel. It's almost like a way for our body, when it doesn't see other fuel coming in, it goes, okay, how can we how can we create energy? How can we improve? um our function when we don't have the resources oh we can we can work with what we have and so you know even just overnight fasting you know some people don't even fast for 12 hours which is sort of crazy if you think about it like evolutionarily we were meant to probably fast a lot more than that but you know we have food everywhere now so um a lot of people don't even get their 12 hours overnight so i tell people First of all, start with 12 hours. Make sure you can do that. You're not, you know, snacking at night, and then try to incrementally move that up to 13, 14 hours. Uh, some people obviously do much longer than that. There's certain disease states that people um, it benefits them to do longer fasts or maybe fast once a week or a couple times a month. So,
1: and if someone had a weak immune system or maybe they have a eating disorder or they're they're malnourished, then then that would maybe not be the time to do IF or
0: that would be correct and the other actually people although it's funny i know um some people may disagree with this but i'm a big fan of getting people into normal glucose tolerance before they start doing intermittent fasting because i think there's just too much dysregulation of people's energy and their adrenal function because obviously many people are they they're stuck on sugar right they're on this like sugar roller coaster all day long so they don't know how really to go for periods of time fasting they don't they, they don't use uh fat very well they're not fat adapted they just need a constant flow of sugar um and so if they start to fast all of a sudden they usually crash <laughs> right this is the hangriness and things like that so first get to a point that you're changing your intake of sugar right so you're getting so that you're your glycemic balance is good. And that might mean actually snacking a little bit during the day. Um, but doing higher fiber foods and low sugar foods to the point that you're like, okay, my blood sugar is pretty good. Um, I feel pretty stable during the day. Let's see now if I can start fasting. You know? yeah. So that being, might take a few weeks. But Yes.
1: And and being hangry is is not productive for, for ourselves okay. or the people that we love or the people we're around, you know. That's no, definitely No, not- definitely not. <laughs> Now, um, have you been to? This is a little bit of off-topic, but uh, this happens sometimes on the podcast. Have you been to Bush Gardens or Kings Dominion? Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. You know, they have a lot of roller coasters uh-huh. there.
0: I haven't, you know, no, I haven't, you know, I haven't ridden a roller coaster in many years, but I know that it's not too far from where I live, so.
1: Yes. Yeah. Definitely check it out. It's fun, but um, the park is fun in general, but the roller coasters, you know, I'm not a big fan. Um, you know, sugar is a, a huge roller coaster for the immune system, and I think you've read in the book how sugars with really it public enemy number one right for the immune system Mm -hmm. let's kind of take a dive into that a bit more why are people so addicted to sugar um maybe and is it not their fault is it kind of the food system the marketing what's kind of going on with sugar
0: i i think i think it is because of the food system and the only reason i say that is if you look back and there's actually some good statistics i don't have them at the tip of my tongue but the amount of sugar that we ate even 50 years ago. I mean, even, I mean, when I was growing up, right, The people just didn't eat that much sugar. Like it was not in all, even even if you had like cereal back then, or even if you had, um, you know, so-called junk food, it wasn't even in that as much as it is now. Um, And I think it's something like, I don't know, we'll just say like now it's like 17 teaspoons extra sugar And back then it was like seven or something. It's a huge difference between what is found in, in food. And then we also just didn't have as much packaged food and as much fast food, Um, you know, kids would, you know, for dessert, you would have like, you know, fruit, things like that. (laughs) we just didn't have the same amount. And, um, and so that's really bad for lots of different reasons. I mean, obviously it's when we have so much sugar in, in the system. Our cells, I mean, our, we can't have high blood sugar. It's very, very dangerous to our, our vessels. And so we want to try to get that blood sugar into the cells as quickly as possible so it doesn't do damage. And the hormone responsible for that is, is insulin. And so, you know, but there's a limit to that, right? And so once insulin starts increasing, 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 it gets to a point it gets tapped out and we literally cannot... Fit any more blood sugar in to the cells, and so we end up having high blood sugar. Insulin can also cause um, we can convert blood sugar to triglycerides. It can cause fatty liver disease, which is extremely damaging and dangerous. Um, and so, you know, we end up in this very inflamed state, very high insulin. Insulin is a growth hormone, makes it very difficult to lose weight. So we get in this this horrible state of obesity, high blood sugar high insulin, and high inflammation. And people are like, well, how do I get out of it? The first thing you do is literally take the sugar out.
1: Yeah. Your yeah, it seems so simple so so and profound, to... but uh, I'm sure you know of that, that rat study with cocaine versus sugar, right? The sugar yes. won over the cocaine. It was more addictive. And, um, you know, 88% of the population has metabolic syndrome, so they have at least some sort of smoldering immunotype. Is that correct?
0: Yes, yeah. There's... And it is true. I mean, that you bring up the... the it is an addictive thing. Like, you know, we um it it triggers dopamine in the brain um it's a reward right because we evolutionarily sort of move towards a reward uh, who doesn't reward want to feel
1: pleasure pain. yeah yeah
0: yeah right and there's nothing wrong with that but over time I think our food has been become so um, so high in sugar with so much extra sugar and a lot of times also these false sugars that we just don't metabolize the same so if you have let's say sucrose in a cookie or a piece of cake or something very different than having like high fructose corn syrup which you can um take in tons and tons and tons and not have the same sort of um, satiation that you would from a regular um, molecule of of sucrose so um you know you have it you you have to go quite honestly through the withdrawal and that might take weeks it's very difficult sometimes but it's like anything else it's in the end it's so 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 important you know
1: yeah yeah so in your book you talk about uh sleep and stress management uh movement uh let's touch on movement for a second because i know that um you know a lot of us are sitting around zoom <laughs> which you know during yeah. the pandemic and um, trying to trying to move more, you know, take a little work breaks or, you know, breaks around your house or whatnot. What are your top sure. tips for um, movement and, you know, how does movement really impact the immune system?
0: So lots, of, like many different ways. So for example, um, and, and I thought this was really interesting because obviously I'd love to exercise. Oops, sorry. That, um, I love to exercise. However, probably the most important thing for metabolism is just daily movement. So they've looked at this, and if you just say walk throughout the day, and this is why, you know, doing the 10,000 steps or 15,000 steps is actually really, really foundational or even standing versus sitting, that that really impacts your metabolism more than you getting up and doing, say a half an hour, 45 minutes of exercise. That is beneficial, no doubt, but you also want to be moving throughout the day just doing functional movement so that's number one that actually makes a bigger dent into your basal metabolic rate right which is i mean your basal metabolic rate is doing nothing but just the you know just daily movement right is really really important but on top of that doing different forms of exercise can be very uh, helpful for the immune system because we know that it can increase certain cell types. So they've looked at this in runners and cyclists um, that you can have bursts of certain cells or natural killer cells, T cells, the cytokines, actually the pro-inflammatory cytokines, but that's good if you're trying to fight infection, right? The most important thing though, is that if you're doing say HIIT workouts or even endurance exercise, you need to recover. And a lot of people don't get adequate recovery time and recovery time is actually a really important time for growth. In fact, if you talk to, you know, people, athletes that are training, a lot of coaches will say, well, yes, the working out, the big workouts are really, really important, but the recovery days are just as important because that's actually when your muscles get stronger, when your cardiovascular system gets stronger because it's during that sort of repair cycle. Right. Um, so, that's great and the other thing too is that it's very you know over time doing um, exercises that you enjoy lowers your stress level or or actually sort of makes you more resilient or more tolerant of stress that sort of idea about hormesis or or um creating resilience and so daily exercise is really good for that too just making us stronger in that category
1: yes uh one one more question about uh lifestyle um how do you feel gratitude or mindset play a role in immune immune uh, balance or immune health
0: i would say it's huge and um you know there's i didn't go really into the science of this in the book this is probably another book right
1: <laughs> yeah but
0: um <laughs> we do know that for example let's just talk about stress and cortisol right so Cortisol is very important for our immune system. And when if it, it's too high for long periods of time, it's very damaging. But when it's normal, when it's, you know, we get some exposure, it can be really, really good. But let's just say someone who's chronically stressed. If you're doing a gratitude practice on a daily basis, you can literally just with your mind. And this has been shown in, you know, meditation studies, yoga studies, um, some of the Buddhist monks, you um, you can really really control and lower your uh basal cortisol so that it's in that nice sweet spot right it's not going to cause damage um but i think also mindsets um you know i don't know if they have markers for this but if you look at the blue zones the studies of the blue zones which is you know the areas of the world where people live the longest now people live the longest, usually because they have very resilient immune systems. So take like, you know, the people who live in Sardinia, uh, in off the coast of Italy, um, they're living to 100 years old, and they're walking, and they're doing everything. One of the core tenants outside of nutrition and exercise is spirituality, and community, and purpose, life purpose, right? So waking up every day, And having that feeling of, I'm here for a reason, I'm glad to be here, I'm grateful, you know, that's gratitude, right? So we know that those inputs are so, so, so important for longevity, and that translates to me to its important farming system.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, um, Heather, Dr. Modi, thank you so much for being on today. We have some closing questions for you sure. uh, with yeah. all of our guests. Uh, I'm going to do a little shake and bake here and mix it up a bit. Um, one okay. of the one of the questions is on, since we just talked about joy and purpose and meaning, what do you do every day yourself to cultivate a, as a physician, as a, a leader, an author, um, you know, as, as someone who, it sounds like enjoys a lot of different things, but um, what do you do every day to cultivate joy yourself?
0: So, you know, one thing is that I have animals. Um, nice. <laughs> they bring me a nice. lot of joy. yes. um, so I really, really, I would say that they they're they're big ones for me. And then, you know, recently, I've been doing more um sort of just creative ventures. I think for a long time, I had shut that out because I, you know, I just got busy, right? And I found that um, that that decreased my joy. So, it could be something simple. It can be drawing. It could be hand lettering, which I do sometimes. Um, things like that just really bring me joy. Just It could be gardening. Um, I try to do something like that that I'm using my hands or using like a different part of my brain. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Functional medicine is very cognitive. I think having some creative mm-hmm. side, you know, is, is yeah, good. Some for sort sure. of creative
0: outlet, even if it's small.
1: Yeah. Um, and do you have any morning routine that is that you do yourself or you know something that's good for the immune system?
0: Yeah, well, the biggest thing for me is movement in the morning um, because I, like many people, um, find that as the day goes on, I get distracted and busy. And you know, when I start my day out with doing exercise, I get to be by myself. I get to think about my day. Um, I also get a lot of energy from that, and I also make sure that I get it in. So for me, basically, I wake up, I have my lemon water um i have i make my delicious little cup of coffee which i like to have (laughs) and then i do my exercise and whether that's running walking peloton yoga i just do something i do something that that gets me moving for you know 30 to 45 minutes or so and that's really how i start my day you know
1: it's the best way to wake up is start start moving you know life is dynamic if you can I'm going to give a shout out to Mike Mutzel, who is a podcaster. He does a podcast called High Intensity Health. So I'm going to actually borrow this question from him. But if you were stuck on a desert island or beach, let's say, since you're close to the beach, um, <laughs> what would be the, and you had to choose um, like three supplements to pack in your bag, you know, with you, mm-hmm. kind of long term. Yeah. What what would they be? And you're sitting under that palm tree, you know, with some of your amazing food and
0: uh, yeah. supplements.
1: What, what What would they be for you?
0: Well, I would say vitamin D, but if I'm on the beach, maybe not. But yeah, vitamin D would be one. Oh,
1: on an overcast um, day, you might not. Overcast day, yeah, 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 vitamin D
0: would it. be one. Uh, I would say the other would probably be some sort of omega-3 fatty acids, so some sort of fish oil. And lastly would probably be, mm, that's a tough one. Um, I figure I can eat my fermented food, so it wouldn't be a probiotic. I would say probably um, curcumin curcumin because you can't it's hard to get a lot of curcumin in your food and it's such a great it's such a it's multifaceted in terms of what it can do for you so yeah, yeah. so a turmeric curcumin um, supplement
1: great thank you so much and uh thank you so much dr made for being on today again uh, for all the listeners out there book is amazing the immunotype breakthrough uh just uh released very recently um, it's doing very well and i think it's such a worthwhile read i've learned so much from it myself so thank you for for writing this book and being of service in that way and uh, explaining the immune system to all of us and I love the I love especially the um, the different breakdowns of the immunotypes because it can really focus people if, if people have uh, chronic issues or even if they're trying to prevent illness and optimize wellness it's really nice to have a personalized plan for the immune system this is a yeah. book that really does that so um, Heather how can listeners learn more about you and work with you
0: so, um, you know, they can find me at my website, which is www.modecenter.com. And I actually work individually with people in certain states. So if they're in Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, we do have some other programs that, um, people can, um, uh, join, uh, through our nutritionist. Um, and that can be across the United States. Um, and then also, they can follow me at the Immunity MD on Instagram. That's where I probably hang out the most on social media, um, and where we post. So.
1: I love that uh, Immunity MD. Well, <laughs> thank you, Heather, so much for being on today, and thank you all thank for you. listening. And uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Yes, thank you so much. It was great.
1: Thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps our podcast to reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations. And thank you so much again for being with us.